Get ready for the Magic Valley PrepCast on IdahoSports.com. That's right. Welcome in. It is another edition of the Magic Valley PrepCast on IdahoSports.com, where we break down District 4 athletics and activities week in, week out in the great state of Idaho. We're coming to you live on a Friday morning on the IdahoSports.com YouTube channel, Facebook page, and Twitter account. You can, of course, if you're not here live, you can always watch a replay of this at the IdahoSports.com YouTube channel, Facebook page, or Twitter account. Uh, you can also listen to this prepcast on IdahoSports.com. Across the top of the homepage, there's a little tab that says prepcasts. And from there, there's a drop down menu. You click on Magic Valley Prepcast. You can listen to it there or wherever you download and subscribe to your podcasts Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. cetera. Uh, my name is Brandon Bainey. And we're joined by a celebrity today, I do believe, Puka Nakua from the Los Angeles Rams. What up, Puka? Uh, yo, just representing. Last time we talked, I was down in L.A. just getting ready for the uh, Saints and the Rams on Thursday night football. And uh, it was pouring down rain. And oddly enough, after we got off that podcast, the rain stopped. And then it turned into just a fantastic time, a great game, a Ram victory. We're in the playoffs. Life is good. And everybody's wearing puka shirts now. Now I think what needs to come next are the puka shells. Right. Now we've got the whole ensemble, right? <laughs> that works out pretty well. Yeah. And uh, of course, the Rams did officially clinch a playoff spot. And my green, you know, the last time we were on here, I showed my little ownership certificate. I'm, a, I'm a, an owner of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, they control their own destiny, Scott. All they got to do is beat the Chicago Bears, which is, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know, easier said than done, I guess. But uh, if they do that, then they will be in the playoffs as well. So. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, it's going to be one of those weeks in the NFL that, uh, Last week of the season, you got half the teams resting all these players. You don't know who's going to win, who's not, what affects this, what affects that, because the Rams are, you know, they're sitting Stafford and risking a trip to either Detroit or Philly. If they win, then they're probably going to Detroit. If they lose, they're going to Philly. So it's like they're resting Stafford. Carson Wentz is getting the start. I who knows? This is a screwy week in the NFL week 17, but uh, at least you have something you're playing for, which is, you know, hey, go pack, right? That's right. They played Chicago all the way back in week one, and now they get them again here in week 18. Not a huge fan of that, but also not a huge fan. Can I rant about one more thing and then we'll get into Magic Valley Sports, Scott? And if you agree, you know, you can always leave something in the comments uh, and we will throw it up on the screen if you've got a question or uh, something you want to ask us. Uh, so, of course, my beloved Montana Grizzlies uh, are also competing for the FCS National Championship. They will play South Dakota State, the Jackrabbits, in Frisco, Texas. Scott, Saturday, wide open on the calendar, right? There's two NFL games, but that's pretty much it. No more college football. The big mm-hmm. national championships on Monday. So they decide to schedule the FCS National Championship game for like Noon on Sunday, like head to head against the final week of the NFL regular season. Who came up yeah. with that idea? I somebody from Montana, apparently, is because uh, <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense. You know, I mean, you have a, an opportunity to steal the stage, and you're like, well, we're going to go up against the NFL and all the playoff implications. I think that's a great idea. So I, I, I don't get it, um, but you know, whatever. Saturday would have been perfect. And who plays college football on a Sunday anyway? Right. 
uh, further proof of bad leadership at the NCAA. No doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, that that thing's yeah. not going to exist in five years, so it's all good. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. yes. Let's let's jump from college to the professional ranks, Scott. For the second time this year uh, or this school year, we're going to be talking about the Utah Jazz and more specifically the Delta Center here on the Magic Valley Prepcast. No, it's not a repeat. Uh, You'll remember earlier this this season, back in November, we talked about how the boys' basketball teams from Wendell and Kimberly tipped off their season at the Delta Center, home of the Utah Jazz in Salt Lake City. Well, the boys' and girls' basketball teams from Grace and Oakley saw that and went, huh, that's actually not a bad idea. So they met up for a girls-boys doubleheader in the Delta Center on New Year's Day, Scott. This happened last weekend. This was a pretty cool deal. Yeah, I mean, it really was. And and I think, you know, what we've been able to do with the past podcast and now this one is, is kind of throw a little bit of light on how that situation works and what these teams are going through and what they have to do in order to play at this kind of venue. And, um, you know, for the smaller schools, it's, it's a little bit more daunting because there is a financial risk to it. And we can get into that in a second, but yeah, Grace and Oakley boys and girls, they, they kind of decided on new year's day of all, of all places and times and whatever to go down to Utah and play uh, prior to the jazz and the Mavericks playing. And that's the way that that works. So uh, it turned out to be a, a great day for grace as they took both boys and girls games and, um, but more importantly, talking to both coaches, it's the memories these kids are bringing back is just something they're not going to forget. Pretty cool. Yeah. So we did, uh, Scott, you did reach out to to coaches from both schools, Oakley mm-hmm. and Grace, even though Grace is an East Idaho school, Grace is the one that kind of put this thing together. So it was important to reach out to Grace because they were the ones that kind of had the in uh, with the Utah Jazz, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like back in 2015, they did this and uh, Kyle Christensen was coaching girls and Rory Lloyd, uh, the boys coach, knew a guy uh, who worked for the jazz. And all this is run out of like the junior jazz program. And it's, you know, just a matter of kind of getting a hold of the right people to put it all together. And so they they put this thing together with the guy they knew down uh, that worked for the Utah Jazz, a boys and girls doubleheader back in 2015. And, you know, and after that, it just sort of went away for some reason. I mean, it, it's a tough thing to schedule. It's not just something that you can just do. You've got to have a, a team to play. You've got to have room on your schedule. I mean, there's so many things that need to fall in place for these things to happen because it does take a lot of a lot of work. Well, this year they kind of decided to, I guess, do it again to bring it back and see kind of what, what would happen. And um, they, Oakley and Grace got together and said, hey, let's let's do this. And uh, in order for this to happen, um, well, first of all, the Junior Jazz program, they did four games last year, I believe, and they've done three this year. And, and this is a program that does this as a precursor to the Jazz game that night. And so these, these kids, they come in and they get to play in the morning and the afternoon back-to-back. It's a very rushed deal because they're still getting ready for an NBA game uh, with shoot arounds and all this kind of stuff and ticketing and whatnot. So they rush them in, get them in shortened warm-up, shortened half times, and they, they get after it. Boom, boom, uh, boys, girls, 
They bring the, you know, the players in, the community in, and they're all kind of down courtside watching the game. And basically what they're doing is they're renting the facility, realistically renting the facility. Because when you put all this together, you know, you've got to guarantee um, the Jazz an X amount of dollars in ticket sales. And I think the number that Grace and Oakley were working with was right around $7,500, right? And so it, it typically is not a problem to hit that mark. But if they don't, then obviously that's money they have to make up. So in order for them to pull this off, they, they come to an agreement and the money from those tickets and all that kind of stuff, the gate, that goes to renting of that facility. And that's how they, they pay for those things. And they're able to bring their own scorekeepers and public address announcers and and all of that stuff. And the band came and I was talking to Coach, you know, Draper out of Oakley and, you know, and he was just tickled that, you know, they they brought their their uh, Beth Buxton, uh, the, the pep band director, their cheerleaders, uh, Tina Bitten brought them down and Stephanie uh, Rimless Baker. I mean, they were to bring everybody down um, and it was just like a home game just on the jazz floor. And they rush, 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 rush. And then they they get to be kind of courtside for a shoot around pregame shoot around, not before all the ticket people come in, but the, they watch them. They get up close. Um, they're lucky they get an autograph. And then by the time the venue opens and the game starts to kind of materialize or the fans start to roll in, then they get bumped up to the upper deck kind of top seats and they get to watch the game from there. And so the whole thing is rushed. But it's also a very cool experience, especially when they get to go down their courtside. And, and there's a couple of cool little stories that I'll share with you uh, about this that some of the coaches told me. But that's yeah, how it so, went down. yeah, this got put onto my radar. So, you know, way before the start of the season, like all the way back in October uh, and even in September, sometimes depending how early we get them, we start putting in the basketball schedules on our site, IdahoSports.com. And originally when I put in the Grace and Oakley schedules, this wasn't on there, you know, to go play in, in Utah. It was just a, you know, a, a home and home basically. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I got an email from Travis Draper that you talked about the athletic director at grace. And uh, this was kind of like right before Christmas. And he was like, Hey, just a heads up uh, this game that was supposed to be in grace got moved to Oakley and the game that was supposed to be in Oakley got moved to the Delta center in Salt Lake city. He was very like low key about it. And so <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, and then I looked at the date too, Scott, and I saw New Year's Day, and I'm like, that's unusual because typically holidays, you know, teams have the day off. Uh, is is there a rule? Is there some sort of special petition you have to do to to play on New Year's Day, a holiday, or not? I, you know, that's a that's a good question, and I'm not sure I know the answer to that. I mean, it's not something that we normally do. Um, I don't think so. But if both coaches and teams are agreed upon the date, then they're agreed upon the date. And uh, New Year's Day just happened to be perfect for both of those schools. And they made a big old New Year's deal out of it. And, yeah. And it worked out. Yeah. Really cool story. So um, obviously the games themselves, Scott, we can dive into that a little bit, uh, especially on the girls side, right? Grace and Oakley are two teams that uh, have been to state the last several years. They both anticipate getting to state again this season. I mean, when you look at, just the overall records grace is 11 and three oakley checks in now with a record of eight and four this was a big potential you know state tournament preview type of matchup yeah i mean these are really good programs i mean they they were 
very evenly matched. They're both successful programs. And, you know, the girls, uh, they, in Salt Lake, they were able to beat Oakley 49 to 32. And uh, just a couple of days after that, in fact, last night, which would have been the fourth. So what, three days later, they played again. The girls did. Uh, this time, I believe it was in Oakley. And Grace won that one as well, 39-24. So Grace got two wins in the span of like three days over Oakley on the girls' side. Uh, the boys' side, uh, Grace, again, in Salt Lake, was able to pull out the win, 54-40. to 40. And so uh, it really worked out well for Grace. But you're right. These two teams you know, are very, very good, and it's quite possible they will meet again down the road. Yeah, uh, and then the Grace and Oakley boys will play again, Scott. They they put a little more space on the calendar between theirs. Uh, the rematch will come in Oakley on January 29th. So And so Grace basically gave up their home game in this home-and-home home series and said, yeah. hey, we'll give up our home game, we'll shift the other games to Oakley, and we will take our home games at the Delta Center. So that was kind of a nice gesture uh, from them as well. So, yeah, you know, and, you know, we talk about the game, but, uh, you know, the memories that these these kids and these coaches are making are, are, are pretty impressive. And and that's what they talk about. And, you know, you, just a couple of things that happened during that game is, you know, they were sitting on the bench. Um, the coaches took their places at the bench, you know, on the chairs. <laughs> Next thing you know, uh, they realized that their feet were not hitting the floor. And they're like, wow, <laughs> you know, it's like you're sitting on the toilet seat, your feet are dangling or whatever. And uh, it's like, I, you forget how big these players are. And so the chairs are like these supersized chairs that you would see in front of the store that you take your picture on or whatever. And they realize, okay, yeah, these chairs are huge and our feet are not hitting the floor. And so, I mean, that was obviously something that was really kind of funny. Uh, and then, um, you know, we talked about this the last time we talked about the uh, the playing down at the Jazz is the the lack of ability to find the scoreboard. For some reason, it is just not in in the mindset of where to look. And it got to a point about halfway, oh, about gosh, third through the game, halftime, third quarter. I mean, it was just in the middle of the game somewhere that they just kept asking. The kids kept asking, "What's the score?" What's the score? They had no idea what the score was. And then we're halfway through the game because they can't find the scoreboard. And so uh, eventually they they found it at the end of the arena. Um, but uh, it was, again, the scoreboard issue came up the last time that we talked about that. Um, but, uh, you know, some other stuff that was going down, you know, um, we talk about uh, uh, being starstruck when we see these players. And uh, the boys' uh, JV coach, uh, Houston Beck, you know, at Oakley, he, he was probably one of the most starstruck people there because he's, he's absolutely in love with Luca. And um, so he's, they're down there at the shoot-around, kind of courtside-ish a little bit. And, and uh, Coach Beck was able to get his jersey signed uh, by Luca. And so that was a pretty cool moment for them. And then, and then during the game, and this is kind of funny too, um, they've got this uh, trivia thing that they do. And I got to find, I got to find uh, my notes. 
Um, but da, 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 they, oh yeah, and it happened to Kyle, Kyle Christensen. And so they're sitting there and they, they walked up to Kyle and, and one of the stadium workers walked up to Kyle and just said, Hey, are you good with trivia? And he's like, well, uh, yeah, no, what, whatever, come with me. And so they, they, they take him up and they start escorting him out of the arena, but not a whole lot was said. And so everybody's just kind of looking around going, is he getting kicked out? What's happening here? And so they, they take Kyle away, but they have this trivia game that they do on the court and they ask three jazz trivia questions. And, and, you know, Kyle's pretty versed on the jazz. And so they take him down there. And if he were to get, I think two out of three, right. Then the entire row that he's sitting in, which consisted of, you know, his team would win these like cups there. I think they were Stanley cups, right? Not the hockey Stanley cups, but the Stanley cups. Right. Right. And so they take him down there and they put him on the big old jumbotron and, ask him some questions and, and I'll be danged if he didn't uh, get them right. And they all won the Stanley cups. So again, the stories that come out of these, these experiences, that's what they talk about. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody really talked about the score. They talked about the stories. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. Uh, you mentioned me and starstruck there, Luka Doncic from the uh, Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, that's a hot ticket in the NBA these days. I think when, uh, I think when Wendell and Kimberly were down there, I think the Jazz were playing the Pellies, the New Orleans Pelicans, and they don't have quite the state the same star power as Dallas does. So that that's cool. Uh, I think I got the title for our podcast this week, Scott Puka and Luca. What oh, do you think? I like it. I like yeah. it. Well done. You, yeah, that's a little Shakespearean quality to it. Well done. Yeah, for sure. Oh, well, we. Oh, go ahead, Scott. Oh no, no, no. That's it. You're good. Okay, uh, we got a ton of photos uh, from Coach Christensen at Grace High School, and then we got a video, just a brief video of of where everybody was sitting for the Jazz game from Kristen Jones, mm -hmm. the Oakley girls coach. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to share my screen, and we can kind of go through this collage of photos, Scott. Um, and this is what we want, you know, as we're reaching out or looking for stories or you know, events or memories or athletes to talk about. Yeah. If you've got photos and videos, we would love to, to put them up on the show and, and share them. So this is really what it's all about. Uh, so here we go, Scott, this is to start with, uh, this is Sydney Smith of grace driving to the hoop. Uh, I assume she scored because she's really good. And, um, I wanted to highlight two things here. Good help side defense here from Brooke Maybe of Oakley. Good form there. She's ready for the box out. And Scott, you were talking about the feet don't touch the floor. You can see right here, right? <laughs> there it is. Yeah. 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 Again, it's just one of those things that's super, super cool. And, you know, and you can see that, you know, everybody is, is courtside. You know, everybody is right down where, right on the floor. And then a little while later, the 610 monsters take the floor. Yeah. Uh, here we've got a scrum uh, three on one. That's always a tough proposition. But again, that's uh, I believe that's Sydney Smith trying to, to get to the hoop and score. Uh, oh, that's the photo I just showed. Let's go this way. Bear with me, folks. Yeah. Big shout out to Coach Jones, too. She really helped us out with a lot of these photos. And and uh, and, and, that, and like you said, this is the cool part and what we want to see. 
Yep, here again. And you could tell what Oakley's game plan was, right? When Sidney Smith gets the ball, <laughs> we need to collapse around her. There's another three-on-one. Uh, that might be it. Okay, Scott. Let me see if I can pull up some more here in a second. And uh, But what a cool deal this was for uh, Oakley and Grace. And this is something that these uh, young men and women will tell will tell their kids and grandkids about for years to come, right? Oh, uh, absolutely. Just, you know, kind of as I was talking to uh, some of the coaches, I mean, I, I likened it to the to Hoosiers, you know, when they walk in and they're measuring the the height of the rim. And, and I go, did you, is that kind of what it felt like? And they're like, absolutely. You know, they're just not used to playing in that kind of venue. And, you know, the other thing too is that, um, well, they got to see, Jordan Clarkson get a triple double, which hadn't been done since a, for a jazz player since 2008, if you follow any of that stuff. But the other thing that's the difference between the courts is, you know, this, the NBA court is obviously a lot bigger than what these kids are used to playing in these small 1A schools, right? And, you know, there were times where uh, some of the, the girls were coming up to their coaches going, this court is so big. And they were just gassed when they shouldn't have been gassed. Um, because they weren't used to playing on something uh, of that size. But, you know, I mean, that could have been the holiday holiday layover and food and all that kind of stuff as well. But, you know, again, just the experience itself was unique and fascinating. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, Scott, I got the rest of them pulled up here. So let's yep. go through them. This is, uh, I think, the opening tip. So that's kind of a cool deal. Can you imagine being out there at center circle in an NBA arena for the opening mm -hmm. tip off of a game? That's pretty. Yeah, no kidding. Well, and you can see the clock behind it too. So you can see that they get started pretty dang early and this yeah. is, you know, they, they get after, they get after it quickly. The whole thing is rushed, abbreviated halftime, boom, 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 get, get through it. Yeah. 1148 AM. Uh, let's see here. We also have, uh, let me pull this up. Okay. This is, uh, what do you think, Scott? Was it a block or a charge? Ooh. <laughs> well, outside the circle <laughs> of the NBA, right. um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say block. Okay. I'm that's going to say block just because of the angle. That's uh tail and Beck standing in to take that. Um, this is a fast break. Uh, Grace running the fast break here. This is uh, JC Christensen. I'm assuming that's coach Kyle Christensen's daughter uh, initiating the break there. Uh, here we've got a free throw uh, from Melody Stratman of Grace. Uh, shooting in a cold, empty arena, Scott, can be mm -hmm. hard sometimes, right? I, well, it is. And, you know, and I talked to both coaches about the, the depth perception. And, yeah, obviously that was a, a something they had to deal with. But Grace really shot well from the line. They were 78% from the line, which is impressive. Yeah, I guess uh, they were ready to go. Uh, another fast break initiated by uh, J.C. Christensen. We also have here, uh, this photo is just labeled team defense, Scott. <laughs> this is just good team defense here by Grace. You can see they're trying to pack it in and uh, prevent Oakley from getting inside to score. Uh, we also have, uh, we showed that one already, and we showed that one. So what I've got left then is the team photo here at yeah. the end, Scott, of the Grace Grizzlies. Yeah. That's a cool deal. Yep. And, you know, that picture is going to end up on picture frames and P 
people's walls from now until forever. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then here is, let's see if I can get the video as well that coach Jones um, shot for us. Uh, and it was just a quick little clip of, of the team and where they were sitting. Um, but it, it gives you an idea of how close to the, to the NBA action they were mm-hmm. um, pretty cool deal. This is really uh, testing your uh, technological skills, isn't it? Oh yeah. This is uh, I've got like 50 tabs open, so this is going to be fun. <laughs> Hopefully my computer doesn't crash. Okay. So, I mean, just right away, you can see how close to the action they're sitting. Yeah. This, this was during the, the shoot around period where mm-hmm. they were the only fans in the arena. This was kind of like an exclusive deal, right? Yeah. And that, that's the cool part about it because you know, we've all gone to, I don't want to say we've all gone, but if you've ever gone to a, a professional game of any kind, it, we, we've all seen it on TV, but it, until you are right there and you get to see the size of the players, the speed of the game or behind home plate for a major league baseball game to see just the velocity in which they throw. I mean, it, the speed, the size is just amazing. And these kids got a, a kind of a snapshot of that during warmup just to see how big these people were because, you know, they were on that floor just a little bit ago and they knew how much space they were taking up. And yeah. now they look at this and they're like, holy cow, this is ridiculous. Yeah. So here's the, the actual video clip and you can see the Mavericks down on that end. And there's the hometown team, the, the jazz and, uh, it, it's actually pretty full, you know, when you factor in boys and girls and the coaches and the parents, Scott, that's what you were talking about. You know, all those parents have to buy tickets to the game, right? The kids have to buy a ticket to the game, uh, the coaches. And so um, when you, especially doing a girls boys double header, uh, it's, it's a little easier to hit that $7,500 goal. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, they, they hit, I think right around 12, maybe just a little over. You know, so they did their part. And, you know, like I said, it's it's not a hard number to hit. I don't think if you've got a community behind you and you get two communities going, uh, you're going to be just fine. Yeah. What a cool story. Uh, so congratulations to Grace and Oakley both. And big thanks to everybody from from Grace and Oakley um, for sending them in uh, and, and the coaches and all that good stuff. And, you know, anytime we talk about Oakley boys basketball and coach Cody Beck, I always have to bring up his favorite line. We're just trying to get that orange thing into the other orange thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a a pretty simple way to look at it. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've heard him say that, but it a lot. (laughs) So, all right, Scott, we do have a question here from uh, Ryan Skaggs. He is our North Idaho uh, prep cast host. He says, come on, Burton, when will you get Jerome to play at the Staples Center? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm working on that private jet. I've got some connections, but uh, once uh, that is solidified, then we'll have the the means to do it. Um, But uh, I'll I'll work on a few things. Yeah, of course. I think he's still mad about the 50 burger I I sent him yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. And, and, and for the record, I don't think it's called the Staples center anymore where Los Angeles yeah. plays. It's some sort of cryptocurrency. Oh, geez. I, I don't even now. know. I, I still like, I, I still like the forum. The forum is going to be my LA place anyway. You know, right. Whatever. 
Well, uh, when the forum first opened, that was right around the time the very first Buell Wrestling Invite was taking place as well, Scott, as we uh, get ready to preview what's coming up this weekend in wrestling. Now, friendly reminder, we do have a standalone wrestling podcast that we do every week. It's called the Idaho Matt Chat Prepcast. We do it live every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock Mountain Time. And uh, we go for about an hour every Tuesday night just talking wrestling and interacting with the fans and the parents and the athletes, and it's a great time. And so uh, if you haven't checked out the Mad Chat Prepcast, you definitely should. You can subscribe to that podcast wherever you download podcasts or also watch it uh, on the IdahoSports.com YouTube channel, Facebook page, and Twitter account. But, Scott, this is the biggest weekend of the year in wrestling. Uh, let's start with what's happening in the Magic Valley, the 50th annual Buell invite and this is kind of a who's who amongst class 3a programs coming uh, boy you talk about one of the the oldest and most well-respected wrestling tournaments uh in the state of idaho it's the buell wrestling invite and you know the thing about this is this is going to be the 50th annual they're 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 kind of marketing it as the 50th annual buell invite and it you know it used to be really a who's who of 2A and 3A wrestlers in the state. I mean, it was the pre-state tournament, you know, for those divisions. I mean, they've got a few 4As coming, um, be about 32, 33 teams showing up, you know, for this tournament. But the thing about this particular tournament is the generational ties to it. Because, I mean, now you've got, you know, grandpas watching their grandsons wrestle in the same tournament that they did when they were in high school. And to be able to say that just, you know, speaks to the longevity of this tournament and to the community itself. But the sad thing about all of it, and one of the reasons we wanted to highlight it too, was these smaller tournaments here, and I don't want to say it's a small tournament, but these small town tournaments like this, they're getting swallowed up um, by some of the bigger events that are going on. Because this weekend we have the Raleigh Lane, right? And that's what everybody's talking about. And left off into the shadows is the Buell Invite, which is a really, really good wrestling tournament. Yeah, so what ends up happening is, for example, you know, when you talk about 3A state wrestling this year, there are kind of two big contenders, well, three big contenders, South Fremont, Buell, of course, mm -hmm. and Fruitland. And everyone was kind of excited. Okay, South Fremont's coming to the Buell Invite. We're going to get to see, you know, who stacks up with who. But there's kind of an asterisk with it three of South Fremont's best wrestlers are going to Raleigh lane to compete individually. And yeah. so it really isn't that, that mono a mono preview um, like you said. And so more and more teams are doing that. They're kind of sending their really elite kids that they think can go compete individually at the Raleigh lane invite, which by the way, Raleigh lane has 98 schools competing this year right. uh, down at the Idaho center in Nampa. Um, but it does take away from the Buell invite a little bit, and I don't know what the solution is to it, but it's it's becoming more and more of a problem with each passing year. Well, it, it is, and I think, you know, a lot of these tournaments um, just happen to coincide with another tournament, you know, and, and the way that, I mean, you take the Boise Valley, for example, they can they can be their own little Vatican. You know, they, they don't need anything outside of that. They could do what, especially if you're a five, a school, you could do whatever you want and never have to leave the Boise Valley to get what you needed. Right. Um, 
And so you get some of these tournaments popping up that are local. Teams will stay closer to home, you know, just for travel expense, for time, for all of it. Um, and so you still are going to have the Raleigh Lanes. You're still going to have the Red Halversons. You're still going to have all these big tournaments, um, the Wiley Dobbs. You're going to have these, and they're going to pull from these smaller tournaments. And until we can all get on the same page and say, hey, this is this weekend, this is this weekend, it's never going to happen. But until that does, we're still going to have that that conflict to where kids are going to go to the Raleigh Lane, half the team's going to go here. And really, in the end, you're trying to make your team better, not necessarily show loyalty to a tournament, because really, you're, you're just trying to make your guys better. And unfortunately, that is just the nature of the business. Yeah, it's, it's not the answer Buell fans want to hear, but... If you want to get the Buell invite back to where it was, I think you got to move off this weekend and, you know, punt essentially. It's kind of like the Montana Grizzlies going up against the NFL. You know, you should just, you know, punt that day and, you know, find another date on the calendar to, to fill in um, for your, for your yeah. tournament. And Scott, yeah. uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, we're, we're kind of in the same boat with the Tim Matthews too. Um, it, another tournament popped up on that weekend and it pulled some, teams away where they could stay closer to home. And it's like, ah, why, why, why are you doing that? And now we're going to examine kind of where we need to be to get the most out of our tournament and bring people in from around the state. So it, it's just, it, it's a moving, uh, moving pieces all over the place. And I don't know if it's ever going to stop, but I do want to say that, you know, go to the Buell invite, check out these teams, check out these kids, check out one of the oldest tournaments in the state of Idaho, uh, the Buell wrestling invite. And there are some really good wrestlers there. Buell, we, we, on the very first Matt chat of the year, Scott, uh, we made our state champion predictions and I picked Buell to win the three, a title this year. You, you want to go see one of, if not the best three, a wrestling programs in the state, go to, go to Buell and watch and watch Buell compete this weekend at the Buell invite. It's, it's going to be a really good show for sure. And, and yeah, that's, uh, I was going to ask you really quickly, uh, you talked about the Tim Matthews wrestling invite, which Jerome hosts. I know also your girls basketball tournament, the mm -hmm. Jerry Callen Memorial tournament, just in the three years I've been at IdahoSports.com, It seems like more and more of these basketball tournaments are popping up all over the place. And it's kind of, uh, taken away from the field of teams you have to choose for your girls basketball tournament as well. Right? Yeah. No question about it. And really it's, it's about being local. And so you are, you know, in, in our area here, you know, we have a lot of smaller schools. I mean, we don't have any five A's. We have just some of the great basin four A's and that's, that's, that's it. The rest of it's made up of three, a two, a one, a, and that's the majority of it. And so if you are staying geographically local for a tournament, then the pool is going to be smaller schools coming in and you've got a four, a school hosting a tournament that's bringing in three, a two, a one, a it's like, I mean, it's not ideal. We can definitely create separate brackets and make the tournament bigger, which is what we're going to try to do. But like I said, when you things when you have things popping up in Boise in Idaho Falls, you have so many teams that can just boom, go there and not have to worry about hotel expense. They can sleep in their own bed. They can. It's it's just easier, and people are gravitating towards that. So we have to get a little bit more creative on how we market and when we do it. And so that's what we're working on. 
Yeah, it's a challenge that uh, is not going away anytime soon. That is for sure. All right, Scott, before we duck out of here on this week's Magic Valley Prep Cast, it is time for another edition of Scott's Thoughts. People may have forgotten, uh, or maybe you're new to the podcast here in the year 2024, but this is a segment we do at the end of each episode where basically uh, I give Scott a topic. Um, it could apply to the classroom. It could apply to the athletic arena. It could apply to just everyday life, but a topic that Scott does a deep dive on and kind of explores uh, previous Scott's thoughts. And you can go back and watch all of the Scott's thoughts on our IdahoSports.com YouTube channel. We actually have a Scott's thoughts playlist. You can go back and watch all, you know, I think we've done nine or 10 of them now, but uh, previous topics uh, have included uh, the language we choose to use, you know, bad language, um, finding the motivation to do things you just don't want to do, but, but they got to get done. Um, you know, how do you find that drive and intensity and going back to the well time and again and finding the motivation to succeed? Why do we always pursue the greener grass? You know, is the grass really greener on the other side? So it's kind of this like philosophical um, conversations that we have every week, Scott. And so it's been a couple of weeks since we had a Magic Valley proper prep cast where you had time to actually put together your thoughts. But the last time we were on and I gave you the assignment, the topic was, uh, lack of transparency. And it was a timely uh, topic at the time because uh, there had just been an IHSAA board meeting where uh, max preps was brought up and the lack of transparency with the max preps ranking and coaches and ADs were concerned about that. Mm -hmm. We did a big max prep special on that. You can also watch that on the IdahoSports.com YouTube channel if you want to uh, revisit everything we had to say about max preps, but I thought it would be a good tie-in for Scott's thoughts as well. So here we are, Scott, finally getting to it. Scott's thoughts yeah. for this week, transparency or the lack thereof. Transparency. Well, it's a simple word, but its nature is quite complex. It's the antidote to opacity, the key to unlocking trust, and it's the building block of accountability. We find it one of the easiest promises to make, yet one of the most difficult to keep. From withholding information to downright deceit, the lack of transparency and the need for it has never been greater. When I was a kid, I used to go to my friend's house where we would raise hell and just be boys, right? Before I left the house though, my parents would ask me where I was going and what I was going to do. My reply, I'm going to Jay's house to watch movies. Now, technically, I wasn't lying because we did watch part of a movie, but omitting a big portion of what I had planned wasn't exactly honest. So, as you can see, the practice of telling half-truths, omitting information, well, it starts at a young age. And for a lot of us, when we're older, it becomes part of our social DNA as the lack of transparency and honesty manifests itself in our businesses as well as our personal relationships. Our ability to wear masks, conceal the truth, and tap dance around the facts is rather alarming. And the erosion of trust, which we have in each other, our institutions, our leaders, doesn't leave us much hope moving forward. Now, the notion of transparency and the lack thereof can be a bit of a tricky web to untangle. Not only are we bringing in concepts such as deceit and lying, it's directly tied to morality, character, trust, and accountability. 
So why does this continue to be a problem? Why do we have such a difficult time telling the truth? And why do we see transparency as a weakness? And why do we now, more than ever, need that from our leaders and each other? It was philosopher Immanuel Kant who suggested that we should behave as if our actions were to be the universal law. Well, he was right. If you think about all of the behaviors we've allowed ourselves to get away with, all of the sketchy moral exploits, the loosened grip on language and self-awareness, the lack of manners, the lack of accountability, well, we've done it. We've created that universal law. And agree or disagree, we've written the social contract that governs our behavior. And the more that we let things become acceptable, the more we rewrite those guidelines. And this includes our ability to be transparent. In the world of business, integrity is the cornerstone of true leadership. It is the quality that earns a leader the trust and respect of their team, their clients, their constituents. A leader with integrity acts with honesty and fairness and holds themselves accountable and consistently aligns their actions with their words. They make decisions not based on personal gain, but on the greater good. The consistency between their values and their actions serves as a model for ethical behavior, creating a culture of trust and transparency. Now, that scenario, that should be the norm, but it isn't. What's so difficult about doing the right thing? Well, in positions of authority, psychologists suggest that the idea of transparency threatens the power position of those who are more concerned with looking good versus doing good. To them, being honest and unambiguous is akin to vulnerability, a trait that is perceived to reduce one's power. For example, a certain business has policies in place to dictate the day-to-day -day operations and decision-making. However, in an increasingly competitive world where success is often measured by material wealth, social status, and power, this same business starts to conduct backdoor deals, conceals information, and bends the rules to fit an agenda. Their transparency is obscured by the dynamics of power and control. And the greater the power, the more dangerous the abuse. You know, we hear about scenarios like this playing out all over the place. An organization with no moral architecture feeds their employees a diet of misinformation and skews the relationship between honesty and integrity and manipulates the truth to fit a situation. The result of all of this, well, you get uninformed decisions based on misleading information and a lack of transparency. It's like giving a child a book with half the pages missing. They don't get the full story and they base their opinion on a snippet of information. And in turn, these practices create a culture where honesty is sacrificed on the altar of success. Sounds like most news organizations and certain political platforms, doesn't it? No wonder we don't trust anybody. Now, aside from the power grab that consumes so many of us on our journey to full disclosure, there's another level to unpack which helps explain our inability to be transparent. It's the rise of digital communication and social media, and it has contributed to a landscape where dishonesty can thrive. Online platforms often provide 
anonymity, to fabricate truth and spread misinformation. And the internet has facilitated a rapid spread of deception, allowing it to reach millions of people in a matter of seconds. You know, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. And I share this just to illustrate the power and deception of the online world. And within this online world, we find the romance. And that romance is with social media where we get to display our highlight reel, showcasing the very best version of ourselves. And it's the furthest thing away you can get from transparency. And as we juxtapose fantasy and reality, make-believe will always win, destroying our ability to paint an accurate picture of ourselves as we cover up our mistakes and imperfections. And for a lot of us, it's the inability to show any weakness, to show vulnerability, to admit that we aren't perfect. And that perpetuates the lie that we tell ourselves and each other. Look, we all want to appear better than we are and fudge the truth just a little to swing the adoration in our favor. It's human nature. But just like we've become obsessed with the appearance of things, the glitz, the glamour, the headlines, the likes, we've allowed it to distort reality where natural beauty takes a backseat to filters, where our merit is weighed in followers and impressions, but not making real impressions. We choose to operate in the darkness and not the light. And thus, along the way, we fill our cups with half-truths about ourselves and our shortfalls, never embracing them, never growing. And each time we engage in shielding our true selves from each other, we nudge our character just a bit further from the anchor of integrity and more toward a more ambiguous moral stance. And when it comes to our character, it's continuously being shaped by our actions. You know, but it's, it's more than just being open and honest. It's about addressing its soulmate, accountability. Transparency without accountability is like a ship without a rudder. It looks nice on the surface, but has zero direction. And what's accountability without transparency? How can we be accountable for actions that we keep hidden? Accountability is the ethical thread that binds us to our deeds. So the line between truth and deception doesn't become arbitrary. Now, if you look around our world, we don't know what to believe anymore. We have leaders lying to our faces with no conscience and no consequences. News organizations bending the narrative to fit an agenda. A social media world that makes Alice in Wonderland look like Mayberry. We need, now more than ever, to take a step back and have an honest moment with ourselves, to look in the mirror at how well we've been upfront about our business practices, genuine with our feelings, and transparent with each other. You know, it's not easy to show faults, to admit mistakes, to let people in, to see the real you without fear, without repercussion, without judgment. You know, we are so accustomed to disguising ourselves from others that in the end, we become disguised to ourselves. Being transparent is not just an act of communication. It's an act of bravery. 
It's about bearing our souls, sharing our vulnerabilities, and opening ourselves up to the possibility of deep connection as well as the risk of being misunderstood and even rejected. In being transparent, we offer the rawest form of ourselves, including inviting others to see us, to know us, and to accept us as we truly are. But in this vulnerability lies immense power, and that power is to connect, to heal, to grow. So in the end, be real, be honest, make mistakes, have faults and own them. Let the world see what's behind the mask, the real you. For in the end, whether it's personal or business, full disclosure is a beacon of trust and honesty, two vanishing traits that really do serve as our moral true north. Sure, we can continue to live behind a filter, a lie, or a half-truth, and try to keep track of all the exhausting falsehoods we've spun and practice our lies and try not to slip up. Or we can just remember this, that the truth needs very little rehearsal. And those are Scott's thoughts. Nicely done as always, Scott. It can compound, right? What starts as a little lie and then you're juggling a bunch and yeah, it can be tough to keep track of it all for sure. So nice yeah. evening this week. Yeah, yeah, that's uh that was a that was a kind of a ambiguous one to tackle just because you could have gone a hundred different directions, but of course I, I kind of stayed middle of the road, apply it to what you need to, apply it to what you don't, get the message, you know, that kind of stuff. So anyway, whew, it's yeah. been a bit. <laughs> it has. Uh so I, I'll get I'll give you a layup for the next one. Uh we just crossed into the new year, right? Everybody's yeah. setting New Year's resolutions. That's what oh I boy. want you to tackle is is New Year's resolutions, but you know, not just uh, okay, uh, how do you choose what your resolutions are gonna be? You know, how do you go through that process and really, you know, do some self-reflection and go, okay, what do I need to improve on? So yeah. Uh, knee-jerk reaction to that one really quickly is why does it have to be on January 1st? You know, um, we, we always say this, I'm going to start working out Monday. I am going to start tomorrow. Why, why, why does a resolution have to be January 1st? Um, but at the same time, it's about setting real uh, accomplishable goals and expectations. So, you know, every day is a resolution. And that's the way we need to look at it. So I'll dive a little bit deeper into that one. But uh, I like that one, considering here we are at the start of a new year. Definitely. All right. Well, big thanks uh, to everybody tuning in as always. And big thanks to you, Scott. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Magic Valley PrepCast. We'll see you again next week right here on IdahoSports.com.